Hello, my name is Brad Cathy, and welcome to Design and Behavior, discussions that will take a closer look at the purpose of design, which, I believe, is ultimately to change behavior. Now, if your first instinct is to disagree with that statement, then you're in the right place. Be patient, and over the course of these discussions, you'll get a better sense of what this means. And though I've been primarily a graphic designer for these 30 plus years, I've also been a careful observer of other design disciplines and feel qualified to offer examples of how they change behavior in their own way. This podcast is brought to you by Highgate Creative, with over 30 years of helping clients change behavior, providing branding, print, and online communications for clients ranging from Fortune 500 companies to local churches. Take a look at our website, highgate-creative.com. In this series of podcasts, we're going to be looking at branding, a topic that almost every consumer on the planet can identify with. The point of these discussions is to help you and your organization better understand branding and inspire changes that may make a difference for you and the marketplace. This is number two in our podcast on branding. In our last podcast, I said I would start this one out with an analogy. In fact, this analogy is just going to carry through the rest of the series. Branding is like producing a play. I remember in high school, though I was not a thespian by any stretch of the imagination, I was on the drama team. And I remember all the excitement around the preparation for the big production. The painting of flats, the rehearsing of lines, the fitting of costumes, the setting of lights, and then, of course, the exhilaration of opening night and the performance itself. Very special memories there. Like a lot of things in life, there's preparation that has to happen. When it comes to a branding initiative, there are two sides to the curtain. On one side, before the curtain opens, Scripts need to be memorized, lines rehearsed, scene repainted, posters printed, and then you've got the dress rehearsals. And finally, on opening night, the curtain rises, the lights go on, and the play begins. There's no going back. Play must go on. And hopefully, the audiences are moved, they're entertained, and lasting impressions are made. And then the next day, the reviews come out, and people are spreading the word one way or the other. The point I'm trying to get across is that there are two sides to branding. The first is the work you need to put into making sure your brand is ready for prime time. The second is, well, prime time. So hopefully, all that preparation paid off. Because as you know, those first impressions are hard to change. So what does the dress rehearsal for a branding initiative look like? 
Well, going back to our analogy of the play, before our rehearsals begin, a play has to be chosen. The logistics of what and where and how must be worked out. And finally, how you are going to interpret the play must be agreed on. So now back to your branding initiative. You basically should know four things about yourself. Some obvious, some not. Number one, what you do. Number two, how you do it. Number three, whom you do it for. And finally, and the most important question, why do you do it? Let's tackle what might be the easiest one, what you do. However, this might not be so obvious. As an example, let me use my own business because I know it best. On the surface, it might seem like we do graphic design. Logos, branding, brochures, websites. Well, that's actually just a list of our services. The menu, so to speak. However, what we really do is communications, specifically marketing communications. So answer the question, how does what you do provide for your customers? You might sell a widget, but what are the purposes of that widget? And why do your customers need it? Let's say you sell boots. So what do boots do? They protect from the elements. They also can make a fashion statement. So the higher purpose of what you do is to provide protective and fashionable footwear. So understanding the higher purpose of what you do will give you a better foundation for the other three questions, how, whom, and why. So how do you do it? This is not really your process or your methods. I view this as more of an attitude. Sometimes I'm asked why design costs so much. The reason I give is that we don't do anything halfway. We give it our all. We strive for excellence. And that takes time. And that is the only tangible measure of our efforts. Doing excellent work is not a principle that I'm willing to compromise on. I'm not willing to do mediocre work, which may cost less. To this day, I believe you get what you pay for. And who knows, maybe excellent design will get better results for my clients. And going back to a personal analogy, so ask yourself, what do we bring to the process that is unique or different than what our competitors might? Now this dovetails nicely into the whom question. There's two ways you can look at the whom question. For whom are you doing it and will continue to do it? And number two, for whom do you want to do it? The bigger or more general your audience is, the more you'll need to focus on that first question. Take a big box retailer like Target. Their demographic is pretty broad. So it would be hard for them to simply narrow their audience. And why would they? For a boutique business like Highgate, we have to think more about that second question. Whom do we want to do it for? The broader audience probably won't appreciate what we do, or how we do it, or even need it. They probably wouldn't see the value of it anyway. However, we've been very fortunate over the years. Our clients have rarely viewed what we did as a commodity, but instead have understood 
they need what we do because they can't do it themselves. They appreciate our unwillingness to do mediocre work. And most importantly, they see value in what we're doing. The bottom line, they're willing to pay for it. If you want to change whom you do it for, you may have to go back to those first two questions. What do you do and how do you do it? It may mean adding new products, new services, new expertise if you want to broaden your audience. Or reducing what you have to offer if you want to narrow your audience. I should clarify that audience can cover a wide variety of demographics from personal things like age or if you're in business, what industry they're in. So the audience that you want to go after needs to be defined within those parameters and then you need to make the changes in what you have to offer to appeal to those new audiences. Now we get to the big question, why you do it? The inspiration for this question comes from marketing guru Simon Sinek's people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. By the way, I've posted a link to that talk on the website, so be sure to have a listen. There's another great talk that's linked there by Steve Jobs addressing his management team and telling them the purpose of Apple. So be sure to watch that one as well. It's about three or four minutes long. Now Steve points out that the purpose of Apple is to change the world. Well, that might be a little lofty for most of us, so let's start with something a little less grandiose. As Leo Burnett, the head of the famous ad agency, once said, Reach for the stars. You may not get them, but you won't end up with a fist full of mud. And I think one of the best ways to start thinking about why is to look at your competitors and try to see the difference between their why and your why. Quick story. I have a client who provides a premier service in the quality assurance business. His why is to help his customers know with confidence they are making better products for their customers. Recently, a couple of competitors have cropped up who are, who are drastically underbidding him, but also cutting corners to do so. Don't be tempted to cheapen your why just to be competitive. So who in your business drives this question of why? My mentor once told me that great design begins at the top meaning that the vision, the tone, the purpose, and now the why, must come from the leaders. If people come to work just to put in their time and get a paycheck, lots of things are going to suffer along the way. What will be the motivation to do a good job, to perform with excellence, or to give great service if your people don't know why? It's so easy to confuse the what we do or how we're doing it with the why we do it. It's the why that contributes most to what differentiates you in the mind of your consumer. It took me many years to figure out why we do what we do at Highgate. The bottom line is to help our clients change behavior. We will be talking about that in other podcasts. What I mean is changing the behavior of their own employees, and their customers. And the question we are always asking ourselves why we're creating anything 
whether we are writing text for a poster, designing a brochure, laying out a website, is will this change behavior? Will somebody want to sign up, want to buy, want to attend? Will they be motivated to do something differently than before they came in contact with what we are producing? So that's why our clients come to us. Maybe to answer this question, you can ask another one. If there was nobody doing what we do, including us, how would that negatively impact the world? Now, if you can answer that question, it'll be a lot easier to get out of bed and go do what you do. So we've briefly covered four questions that you should answer internally. And maybe it's just a matter of gathering your leadership team around a table and wrestling through those issues. After you have done so and you feel comfortable with the results and the answers, then it's time to dig in and get to the practical matters of a branding initiative, which we will begin to talk about in our next podcast. Thanks for listening.